I'm not even discounting the possibility that there are invisible entities out there in the universe far smarter than ourselves who we could possibly be in dialogue with. I think Sam Harris just admitted that God might exist. Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, the London debate. Mr. Reagan. In this final debate, we finally get an actual substantive religious debate between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. <laughs> if you watched my previous debate analyses, you will have seen my frustration uh, about Sam Harris's reluctance to engage. All of that frustration is gone here. I am happy to report that he has finally decided to join the conversation. And this one is an all-out brawl. Now, in this debate analysis, I have tried to cut out all of the rhetorical games. What is included in this analysis are all of the moments that I felt added significant new ideas to the debate. I included comments that I felt pushed the discussion forward toward some kind of conclusion. I included the best ideas of Peterson, the best ideas of Murray, and the best ideas of Harris. So without further ado, I give you the final debate. Let me start by saying a little of some of the ground we are going to be trying to cover here tonight. We're going to be dealing with the conflict between science and reason. We're going to be addressing uh, the le legitimacy. Did I say science and reason? Science and reason, yes. Yeah, that's occasionally there is. We're not addressing that. <laughs> this cracked me up. Uh, there, there is sometimes a conflict between science and reason, probably more often than people would guess. I have long believed that the average person has way too much faith in science. Scientists are people, after all, and they're subject to the same temptations we all are. I actually think this is one of the great flaws in Sam Harris's worldview. If you think I'm wrong, look up a YouTube video called P-Hacking. The letter P and then the word hacking. And you'll find out all about how, you know... Scientists often skew their results, sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident. For me, religion emphatically gets placed on the side of bad and old and, and worth retiring ideas, or ideas worth retiring. By analogy, I would, I would uh, ask you to consider astrology. No, Sam. By analogy, I will not consider astrology. You could do exactly what you do with religion with astrology, right? It would be, it would be no more legitimate to, to uh, obfuscate the boundary between clear thinking and, and superstition there because this traditional God and the, and the doctrines that support him are, are on no firmer ground than astrology is now today. And astrology, you could, almost everything you say about religion, the fact that it has organized human thinking for thousands of years, that it's a cultural universal, uh, that every, every group of people has, has uh, given rise to some form of it, that it has archetypal significance, that it, that it has powerful stories, all of that can be said about astrology. My concern is that we could live in a world where societies are shattered over things like, you know, different zodiac interpretations. And we don't live in that world for good reason, because we, we have beaten astrology into submission. And I would say that religion, in terms of revealed religion and belief in a personal God, is, over the centuries, getting the same treatment by science and rationality, and should be. And it is a, a perverse circumstance that we live in a world that is, that is shattered by religion. I'd like to point out his quick injection of an idea that I reject wholesale. He says, we live in a society shattered by religion. 
I hate when people in debates do this. They make a point and then they support the point by the premise they're trying to prove. In order to accept Sam's little point here, you have to accept the entire premise. Instead of using the point to prove the premise, he's using the premise to prove the point. It's the cart before the horse. He does this a lot. But that's not even the most annoying thing about all of this. The really annoying thing is that right out of the gate, he starts the debate by conflating religion and superstition. It's, it's amazing to me. He must realize how sophomoric this point is. Yeah, Sam, we get it. You think religion is the same as superstition. You, you think only idiots believe it. We get that, okay? You don't like religion. You don't need to say this over and over and over ad nauseum. Sam Harris doesn't seem to realize the futility of his argument here. Using the analogy of something that doesn't exist to prove that something else doesn't exist doesn't work. Let's say, for instance, somebody wanted to convince you that the Komodo dragon was not a real animal. They said, well, this is a myth. It's a story. It isn't real. Now, maybe you've seen a Komodo dragon in a zoo. Maybe you've touched one. But this person, convinced that there is no such thing as a Komodo dragon, the person says, it's like the unicorn. There are some people who believe in unicorns, but the unicorn is a myth. There's no such thing. The Komodo dragon is like that. It's not a convincing argument. Yes, we know that there are creatures that are rumored to exist in legend, but don't really exist. That doesn't mean that there are no creatures. Animals do exist. To say that some are myths, and therefore all are myths, is a logical fallacy. Many people are not merely religious because they believe rationally that religious ethics works in society, nor just because their parents told them to be religious, as Sam Harris believes. Many people are religious because they believe they've felt the presence of the divine. Now, perhaps Sam Harris has never felt the presence of the divine. Perhaps he's never seen a Komodo dragon. So if Sam Harris has not felt the presence of the divine, that does not make him an authority on what is and what is not. He should not be using an analogy of something the vast majority of us recognize as absurd, like astrology, to discredit religion. In the same way, he should not use the myth of the unicorn to discredit the idea of the Komodo dragon. Sam Harris's lack of divine experience does not give him special insight into everyone else's capacity to distinguish reality from fantasy. It just means that he has a limited experience. That's all it indicates. If there's a concert going on in Staples Center, and I don't buy tickets, and I don't go, but my friends go, and they all come back and they tell me the concert was amazing, it doesn't make sense for me to go and tell them, well, no, there was no concert, I didn't see the concert, therefore it didn't happen. A lack of experience does not invalidate somebody else's experience. It's not just egotistical to think this, all right? It's kind of insane. So I think what I'll do first is adopt the exceptionally difficult and likely counterproductive position of saying something not so much in defense of religion but in defense of astrology <laughs> knowing knowing full well that that's fundamentally a fool's errand now when we look back on the astrologers and we view their contributions to the history of the world with contempt we should also remember that astrology was astronomy in its nascent form just like alchemy was chemistry in its nascent form. And so sometimes you have to dream a crazy dream with all of the error that that crazy dream entails because you have an intuition that there's something there to motivate you to develop the intuition to the point where it actually becomes of genuine practical utility. So it was the dream of astrology that there was some relationship between the movement of the planetary bodies and the fixed stars and human destiny. And that's what drove us to build the first 
astronomical observatories and to also determine that there was a proper time for planting and a proper time for harvesting and a way of orienting yourself in the world, for example, by using the North Star. I titled this video, Jordan Peterson Finally Destroys Sam Harris. I think that this is the first example of said destruction in this debate. And so it does seem to me that what we have in the West is the consequence of the interplay between the fantasy-predicated, poetic, Judeo-Christian tradition and the rational critique that was aimed at that by the Enlightenment figures. And that seems to me to mirror something like the proper balance between the right hemisphere and its poetic imagination and the left hemisphere and its critical capacity. So one of the questions you brought up was, how do we decide which let's say, religious in, in, intuitions are valid. And I think we do that in part through negotiated agreement. It, look, even, even among the Catholics, say, in the medieval time, there was an absolute horror of heresy. So if you were some mendicant monk and you had a profound religious vision, the probability that you were going to be tried as a heretic and burnt at the stake was extremely high because even the gatekeepers of the religious tradition realized that religious revelation untrammeled by something like community dialogue something like that was something of extraordinary danger. And so I would agree with you that the poetic imagination and the ground of religious revelation is something that can lead people dangerously astray. But I would say at the same time that it constitutes the grounds of our initial exploration and that it, it's actually ineradicably necessary. What Jordan Peterson says here is so brilliant that it actually becomes fun to watch. His IQ is so high that to hear him simply explain an idea is actually quality entertainment. It was at this point in the debate that I noticed Jordan Peterson's tie. What Jordan Peterson is saying here is that religion does not impair rationality, but that it is the interplay between religious observance and pure rationality that facilitates progress. I think what Jordan Peterson believes is that religion alone might lead society astray. Pure rationality alone might lead society astray. And so religion and rationality must be used together in order to progress effectively. I believe that the good Christian is required to employ rationality in order to properly follow the will of God. Christianity without reason would fracture off into some distorted version of the religion unrecognizable as Christianity. So in that sense, I agree with Peterson here. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. I have to say one thing that I, at any rate, am equally tired of is the claim that this has got to be a tennis game between the religious and the non-religious. That people say uh, that the 20th century's crimes were committed by atheists. Sometimes true, often wrong. Or that the 20th century's crimes were committed by people who were religious. Sometimes true, often wrong. Douglas Murray is saying that Christianity should not be necessarily blamed for the sins of the individual Christian. Atheism should not necessarily be blamed for the sins of the individual atheist. The person who sins should be blamed for his sin. I mostly agree with Murray. However, we certainly should look at the influence the culture might have on the individual. Does a Christian culture encourage evil? Does an atheist culture encourage evil? The reason Douglas Murray brings this up is that a moment ago, Sam Harris brings up the idea that the sins of the Soviet Union cannot be placed at the feet of atheism. I don't understand why Sam Harris can't accept that the Soviet Union was an atheist state and that this condition facilitated the lack of ethics that existed within the USSR. He keeps saying it was like a religion. When you look at what actually engineered these atrocities, it was something that looked very much like a religion. 
but it wasn't a religion. This specific point, USSR, atheist state, or state religion, deserves its own full debate. Of course, Sam Harris would lose. What did the NKVD have in common with everyone who oversaw the Gulag, the SS, people who guarded the camps, the people who put people on trains? What did they all have in common? What did they have in common with Mao? Among other things, they had in common the fact that none of them thought that God was watching them. None of them thought that they were being observed and would be held accountable. It, it, it doesn't this is the most beautiful point I have heard Douglas Murray ever make. None of them thought that they were being observed and would be held accountable. It, it, it doesn't help when you think God is on your side. We have just as many examples where people do it because they think God, God is on their side, right? Sure. God is watching and clapping. Notice that Sam Harris does not deny what Douglas Murray has just said. And what Sam Harris is not considering, what Douglas Murray should have responded with, is that despite the fact that people do feel greater resolve to do things when they believe God is on their side, most of the time those things are good, but sometimes terrible things, as in the case of like ISIS, one must only look at the sheer number of people killed by atheists versus the number of people killed by religious people in the 20th century to see the difference of the negative influences. And, and just consider how many Christians there are and how many atheists there are. Taking this all into consideration, it's clear that atheism absolutely has a negative influence on people, and Christianity has a positive one. And again, Sam Harris should not be conflating all religions together. Christianity and Islam are very different. To argue atheism versus religions that have proven harmful is easy. To argue atheism versus religions that have been overwhelmingly helpful is much more difficult. And there's no real point in taking this easy road. Even if Sam Harris proves that all religions in the, the entire world, except for Christianity, are terrible and worse than atheism, he still will not have one. Sam Harris has to show that atheism is a better path than Christianity. He has to show that atheism is a better path than the religion that has done the most good in the history of the world. Only then will he have effectively made his case. But topic after topic, he shies away from this strategy. I submit that this is because he is incapable of effectively proving atheism is a better path than Christianity. He is only capable of convincing people that atheism is a better path than astrology, than voodoo, than paganism, than primitive superstitious nonsense, than Islam. So he keeps hiding in the safe space of ridiculing astrology or criticizing Islam. It's a cheap, easy path, and it's not convincing. This, Sam Harris, is why you lose. At the end of all these conversations, I'm still not sure what you believe on that point, frankly. And if I'm not sure, no one out there is. Well, I don't know why, I don't know why you would expect to be sure about what someone believes. How, do you think that any one of you are capable of fully articulating what you believe? You certainly uh, aren't. You are not. It, it, that's the, completely ridiculous. You're not transparent to yourself by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you act out all sorts of things that you can't articulate. But, but, but how, about a, how about a best guess? Yeah. You know, if you... Look, let's go all cognitive neuroscience on this, shall we? 99% of your processing is unconscious. You're not capable of articulating yourselves. If you were, you'd be omniscient. Okay, but that, so don't but, give me any nonsense yeah. about that. But that... <laughs> 
Let's go all cognitive neuroscience on this, shall we? I, I think Peterson is pissed off here because Harris is trying to dig into his personal beliefs. And, and these, I think, Jordan Peterson likes to keep private. And I don't mind that. In fact, these debates should be impersonal. They, they should be dispassionate. To try to dig into Peterson's personal beliefs is irrelevant and just a way for Sam Harris to try to find an emotional vulnerability. It was right for Peterson not to answer this directly. I'm not even discounting the possibility that there are invisible entities out there in the universe far smarter than ourselves who we could possibly be in dialogue with. I think Sam Harris just admitted that God might exist. To take Christianity as an example, what do you believe about this, the origin of this sacred book, the Bible, Old and New Testament? Do you believe that just maybe it has a status unlike any other book, or is it simply old writing of human beings just like ourselves i think it's both so but 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 so what does that mean you're saying you're saying that there's somebody who's taking dictation that is unlike any other dictation so so homer though well, creative Sam, or like shakespeare we, though creative like was, was doing something the else sources of inspiration okay but, you the, know, the, if but you everyone's been inspired people, if you talk to creative people yes you know okay, they basically so, they often describe themselves as something approximating a conduit through which higher wisdom is pouring shakespeare could say that and yes. and, and any writer can say that if if something is deeply wise it's reflective of a deeper reality Otherwise, yes. it wouldn't be wise. I'm, okay, I'm, so I'm in love the, with deeper realities. So what's the deeper reality that something as wise as the story of Cain it, and Abel reflects? It, 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 what's it, the reality? It, it, a landscape of mind that, that either takes great training, great luck, or pharmacological bombardment of the human brain to explore. Right? There, there's a way, there are ways to get there. There are ways to have the beatific vision. Sam Harris is insufferably smug. I think this is why I tend to find him and other evangelical atheists who are like him to be so detestable. Sam Harris casually asserts that some human beings might have some transcendent experience from which they write earth-shattering, culture-shifting, mind-altering, brilliant things that inspire analysis for thousands of years. He acts as though this happens all the time, no big deal. And the most galling thing about this, Sam Harris believes that he fully understands this phenomenon and that it's of no more consequence than anybody doing anything really well. But here's the thing, Sam Harris has never written a work of genius. He's never written anything that has been considered multi-generationally to possibly be revelatory. He speaks as though he is the utmost authority about this. He talks as if he's an expert about the source of genius. But how could he possibly know? Sit down, Sam Harris. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Jordan Peterson is right. He talks about the muse. He talks about how often writers don't feel as if they have conceived the ideas they are writing, but rather the ideas they are writing are being revealed to them. As a writer myself, I can fully validate this phenomenon. This is exactly how great writing comes into being. So you might say, well, then if all great writing is inspired, why is the Bible sacred? Well, perhaps it means that many more works from many other authors were inspired by the divine spark. Perhaps they are all, in fact, sacred. Sam Harris goes on to say that when we read the Bible, you can turn every page in the book and you will not find anything there that somebody as smart as Shakespeare or even a little bit dumber couldn't have written. One thing we know is that when you read the Bible, you can turn every page of that book and you will not find evidence of omniscience. You, you will not find anything in there that someone as smart as Shakespeare or actually a little bit dumber could have written. 
Okay, whatever you think of the idea of God or the value of religion, to consider the Bible devoid of wisdom, as Samhara suggests, simply rejects reality outright. Men have studied the Bible, debated it, and been fascinated by its wisdom since its inception. The idea that there is nothing at all profound within its pages can only be the product of aggressive ignorance. Sam Harris has to want to believe this. He could not possibly believe the idea based on objective perception of the Bible. Let's go back to, the, to one of the core problems that we've been trying to address, which is the apparent failure, perhaps, of the rationalist atheist types to develop a, an active ethos that has sufficient beauty and motivational power to serve as a credible replacement for the religious rituals. So there's, there, seems to, there must be a reason why that's, that failure has occurred, yeah. right? So, yeah, so well, do you have I, any I sense of give, what yeah, the reason might be? I can give you a, a short list of reasons. One is that traditionally the impulse to do that in a religious context has been fatal, right? So to declare your apostasy has been the almost as reliable a way of committing suicide as jumping off a building in most cultures and most societies for the longest time and still is in many places, as you know, in the Muslim world. So uh, it, there, it, there's been a barrier to entry to thinking creatively about alternatives to religion. Jordan Peterson asks Sam Harris about the inability for atheists to develop a secular ethic. Sam Harris uses the excuse that religion has condemned heresy so strongly that people were afraid to explore new options. I don't buy this argument, because humanist thinkers have been around for so long now that some basic structure of an ethical system should have been developed by now if developing such a system were in fact possible. And so much of atheism and secularism is just a, a pitched battle against the eroding power of religion. I mean, when religion really has its power, right, we know what it's like. The moment that it makes this most salient, you know, Galileo being shown the instruments of torture by men who wouldn't look through his telescope. Sam Harris then says, when religion really has its power, we know what it's like. How ominous. He uses, as an example, Galileo being shown the instrument of torture by men who wouldn't look through his telescope. It's funny, Sam Harris just said that he would never blame Christianity for the sins of the individual Christian. He was insinuating that the only criticisms he has of religion are the negative effects on society that can be directly attributed to religion. I would never be tempted to hold religion accountable for the bad things that religious people do that have no connection to religion. The only thing I blame religion for are the things that it becomes rational to do by the light of these beliefs. However, here he specifically attacks Christianity for the persecution of Galileo. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that if a scientist questions the accepted science of the day, he should be persecuted. So here, Sam Harris is doing precisely what he said he would never do. In fact, many of his arguments do exactly the same thing. Furthermore, it was primarily other scientists that persecuted Galileo. The accepted science of the day was not rooted in the biblical account. 17th century European scholars accepted the Aristotelian model of the universe. This was completely unrelated to the Bible. Sam Harris uses this revisionist history because it makes the church look bad, and in turn, it makes Christianity look bad. It suggests that it was the Bible that somehow inspired the persecution of Galileo. But of course, this is not true at all. It's just another debate tactic disingenuously employed by Sam Harris because he knows a lot of people already believe this false history, and he feels that referencing it will help him to win. As Trump would say, sad. 
And I suppose the thing that unites Jordan and me on this is if we face some of the problems, some of the enemies, you might even say, that you identify as well, and the question is whether you should face them in the midst of an experiment that may or may not work, i.e. a leap into pure rationality, or whether you might decide it's worth, among other things, taking some of the versions of things that you've had that have been of worth in your past and using them where they're useful. The leap into pure rationality, there's no evidence yet that it's going to work or there's going to be enough or enough people are going to be able to partake but, in but, it. But, but give me the and, precise uh, place where you're worried that it's going to fail and what, can you, what are you imagining well, well, you doing? Well, you think it's let failing you, now. Yeah, let me give you one example. Yeah. I mean, we may be in the midst of the discovery that the only thing worse than religion is its absence. And, and where? Where are we discovering that? Look at the religions that people are making up as we speak. I mean, every day there's a new dogma, and you and I and Jordan have repeatedly tripped over those dogmas. <laughs> Some usually survived, it has to be said, but this, they're, they're stampeding to create new religion all the time at the moment. Every new heresy that's invented, and they're not as well thought through as past heresies, they don't always have the bloody repercussions yet, but you can easily foresee a situation in which they do. I mean, a new religion is being created as we speak by a new generation of people who think they are non-ideological, who think they're very rational, who think they're past myth, who think they're past story, who think they're better than any of their ancestors and have never bothered to even study their ancestors. Right. So, but... This is such a beautiful statement. What Douglas Murray is saying here is that far-left radicals, SJWs, Marxist professors, and all the other left-wing lunatics that we generally accept as being negative forces in America and in the West generally. This is all the result of a generation who lack religious direction. I could not agree more. When you take into account all the various instances where groups of people rejected religion throughout the 20th century, you inevitably find violence. Douglas Murray lists a variety of these kinds of instances, and his explanation is that these people did not believe that anyone was watching their actions. There was no God to judge them. I think this is exactly right. I would add to that that the rational next step to be taken if there is no metaphysical consequence to any actions and one wishes to effect some kind of positive change in humanity is eugenics. Christianity recognizes that human beings have intrinsic value. Whether a person is sick, disabled, intellectually inferior, ugly, annoying, or of another race, they all have value. They have value beyond their mere utility. Why Sam Harris cannot see this advantage of Christian ethics is astonishing to me. Again, I submit that Sam Harris is forcing this ignorance upon himself. It is too obvious for him not to see it. So he must just not want to consider it. It inconveniently disrupts his idea about the world. Douglas Murray is not arguing here that every detail of Christianity is accurate. Rather, he's arguing that traditional values are crucial. And I think that argument is essential. Christianity has served us incredibly well for the past 2,000 years, despite what atheists would have you believe. That reality must be recognized, and the reasons behind that reality should be investigated. Only then can we have an intelligent discussion about any potential alternatives. If you look at the domain of science, most scientists aren't very good at what they do. And if you look at the domain of religious thinking, most religious thinking people aren't very good at what they do, but that doesn't mean that the whole damn thing should be thrown out. I love this argument. This is the difference between nuanced, measured thinking and simplistic, radical thinking. We had a long uh, uh, session on love just then, and I refuse to finish this evening on such a positive note. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I just wanted to hand over to both of you at some point to give an idea, not of your loves, but of your present hates. Mm. Perhaps Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say that I spent a lot of time over the last 30 years trying to understand the part of me that could be deeply satisfied as an Auschwitz prison guard. And I would say that that part is something that's worthy of hate. And I think the best way to overcome it is to recognize it in yourself and to do everything possible to constrain it. And that's what's given me an overwhelming horror, both of the nihilistic void and the catastrophes of totalitarianism. And the reason that I've turned to the degree that I have to the analysis of religious traditions, not losing my scientific perspective in the meantime, is because I've done everything I could to extract out the wisdom necessary to understand how to deal with that bit of unredeemed evil that every bit of us possess. It's hard for me to comment on this particular note of wisdom. The reason it's difficult is because I would say that it is a dangerous thing to explore your darkest impulses. We know that people can do horrific things. We tend not to suppose that we are capable of those things. However, each of us does have the capacity for great evil. Pointing out the evil in others feels good, but one can get carried away with such a pastime. If you're not looking at your own deficiencies, but rather at the deficiencies of everyone else, your enthusiasm for identifying, analyzing, and punishing the deficiencies in others could eventually become horrifyingly evil. I believe that is what has happened on the left. Antifa claims that they are an anti-hate group, yet their entire purpose is to identify evil in others and to punish them for it. They are the new inquisitioners. And they are worse than that because the injustices of the Inquisition have been highly exaggerated over the years. The evil of Antifa is real. Antifa claims that they are preventing violence, but they are now the violent ones. They are the evil group. But they don't realize this because they're not looking at their own deficiencies. It's very easy to point out the evil in somebody else and to condemn that. It's even fun. It is much more difficult to recognize the evil in yourself. But consider this. If everyone examined their own shortcomings and tried to be better human beings, we would never need to point out the evil in others. And that is what Christianity requires of us. Well, I, I would say that I hate, I see so much of my time conscious time, moment to moment, captured by thoughts of the past or the future, which are almost by definition have a, a mediocrity so transcendent. It is what makes human life pure monotony and pettiness and, and everything that religion advertises itself as a corrective to. It's possible to be totally captivated by the wrong things in this life. It's just mediocrity and pettiness and needless anxiety. And very dimly, we recognize the possibility of overcoming that on a day-to-day -day basis. And honestly, I think the atheism, the lack of belief, the lack of faith in an afterlife, for instance, leads, leads to greater depth rather than to superficiality here. It's like when I kiss my daughter's goodnight, it is with the understanding that I may never see them again, right? It's not with the assumption that 
if the roof caves in, we're, we'll all be re reunited in heaven along with our pets, which is what many people find consoling about faith. And, and so what, what I would say, what I hate in our culture is everything that conspires to make the, the preciousness and, and, and sacredness of the present moment difficult to realize. Sam Harris actually says two things here. He first says that he dislikes dedicating one's life to something that's wrong. The irony about that is that I think that's exactly what he's doing. He kind of turns this into a hatred of a lack of recognition of the preciousness of certain moments in one's life. He bewilderingly accuses religion of reducing one's ability to recognize precious moments. And he credits atheism with granting a person a better understanding of those precious moments. This is, of course, absurd. This really plays into Sam Harris's idea that he has this magnificent ability of discernment. He, he can tell if something's true or if something's false. He, he is much more capable of rational discernment than any religious person, right? His, his idea is that religion removes all ability for human beings to discern reality. This is, of course, absurd. Sam Harris believes that Christians can't recognize precious moments, but atheists can. I could break down exactly why this is an absurd thing to say, but I honestly think this is a waste of time. This is such a silly, half-baked slander of religion that it's not even worth addressing. I know it's wrong, you know it's wrong, I think Sam Harris knows it's wrong. He's just trying to get out one last little criticism of religion. I think the entire four debates can be summed up by the way these two men respond to this final question, the hate question. Jordan Peterson identifies something he sees in himself. Sam Harris identifies something he sees in others. In conclusion, I must say I'm a little disappointed that we didn't end these debates with some gratifying triumph of one of the debaters by some brilliantly expressed string of logic that just obliterated the other side. The winner of this debate was clearly Jordan Peterson, but it was, again, death by a thousand cuts. Because they delve into more interesting corners of philosophical thought, it does get interesting. Several times in, in this final debate, both Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray present extremely powerful arguments. However, there is no final conclusion. There is no satisfying resolution to the big question. Is there a God? Well, I have watched, analyzed, and produced videos for all four of these religious debates between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Because of this, I have been given the opportunity to think very deeply about this subject, and I think I can provide the satisfying resolution to the big question looming over it all. My string of logic regarding the existence of God is this. All human development exists because of the concept of value. Without a belief in real value in the universe, no human would ever feel any kind of motivation to do anything beyond satisfying basic human needs, to be anything more than animals. Pascal's wager was right. Pascal's wager is basically this. If we consider that Christianity might be true, and atheism might be true, there's two possible universes, right? There's the atheist universe with nothing, and then there's the Christian universe with God, right? So if you're a Christian in the atheist universe, nothing. You die and nothing. If you're a Christian in the Christian universe, then you die and heaven, God, great, good. You know, you've done some great good in the world. You go to heaven, everything's happy. If you're an atheist in the atheist world, same thing as the Christian. You die, nothing, done. But if you're an atheist in the Christian world, okay, die, hell, death, pain, unpleasantness. So Pascal's wager is you might as well just be a Christian because the two possibilities are nothing and good. And if you're an atheist, the two possibilities are nothing and bad. People typically try to 
dismiss this argument by saying it's a false dilemma. This is not a dichotomy, right? It could be the Christian God or maybe the Buddhist faith is right or maybe the Hindu gods are right or something like that, right? So there's an infinite number of possibilities or atheism. It's not Christianity versus atheism. That's the typical argument. But I think that we can conceptualize Pascal's wager in an even more fundamental way. Let me put it like this. Either there's meaning to existence or there is no meaning to existence, right? There is either a reason for all of this and everyone has value or it's all just an accident and we are all just horribly unfortunate rubes in an incredibly unlikely coalescence of particles having developed by pure chance. Plus, by some strange twist of irony, if this random chance is true, we perceive value in the universe where no value actually exists. And again, that false perception of value exists completely by chance. So we think that there is meaning to all of this and that there is a reason for our existence and that, and that these things, including us, have value. But if the atheists are right, it's all a cosmic joke. Atheism necessitates that everything has zero real value. We may perceive value, but it's all an illusion if atheism is right. But that may be wrong. Religion tries to conceptualize the value that humans perceive in the universe. Humans act as if things have value. This is because without value, our lives are not only meaningless, but a living hell. If nothing has value, then comfort has no value. The sex has no value. Your kids have no value. Love, merely the illusion of value. All the creative things that you do, your work, your efforts, all valueless, devoid of all meaning. So we act as if things have value. This is what Jordan Peterson means when he says that atheists act as if there's a God. God is how we conceptualize the value of the universe. That's God. Atheism is actually an acceptance of zero value in the universe. And without value, we have no purpose or responsibility. All human achievements are made assuming those achievements have value. We can only progress if we believe we have value. So it's better to live as if the universe has value than to live as if it doesn't. This is where Pascal's wager comes in. If the universe is devoid of value and it all ends, then the way you lived your life is irrelevant. But if the universe has meaning and you were a valuable contribution to the universe, then you have done good. The ultimate good, I would say. However, if you are an evangelical atheist like Sam Harris, trying to convince everybody that the universe is devoid of all meaning, you have actually been acting destructively throughout your life. For every person an atheist succeeds in convincing of atheism, that's one less person who is motivated to add value to the universe, because they will believe that there is no value. Unless, of course, they haven't actually thought through their atheistic beliefs, in which case they're acting as if there's a god in a universe in which they believe there is no god. Contrast that with the Christian who lives his life believing in his value and in the value of everyone and trying to be good and to do good and, and to add even more value to the universe by contributing in whatever way he believes he is meant to contribute. Even if you take the traditional concept of God out of the scenario and we're just dealing with a vague, undefined concept of core value, one must still recognize the mathematical certainty of the advantage of accepting in faith this abstract idea of value. So Pascal's wager is accurate. Simply put, there are two possible states of the universe and two possible states of being. Zero value, value. Atheism, religion. If you are religious and there is zero value, nothing. If you are religious and there is value, you've contributed to the value of the universe. You've done good. 
If you are an atheist and there is zero value, nothing. But if you are an atheist and there is value, you've contributed to the degradation of the universe, you've done bad. This is a mathematical certainty. And that makes sense because Pascal, after all, was a mathematician. Pascal's wager is right. Well, that's it for me. If you want to help me out here, please contribute to my Patreon, links in the description, or you can go to my go to my merchandising site and buy these beautiful Mr. Reagan mugs and other things that I'm designing currently. Or I can just keep watching the videos and don't give me a dime. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually fine with that. Just comment on my videos and contribute to the conversation. If you like this video, be sure to give me a like. If you want to see more videos like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, you're probably an atheist. And if you're an atheist, then you don't really recognize the value of anything. So hating me is a futile gesture. So you might as well not hate me because it doesn't matter anyway, right? <laughs> Good night. The destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. There's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. I think, Alexa, stop. But here's the thing. Sam Harris... Oh, hello. <laughs>